Hey, welcome to the Timmy Ricks Podcast, Life in the Meantime. Today's episode is actually a sermon that I did recently at our church where I focus on this idea that uh, there truly is more to life than meets the eye, that there's a whole nother world, God's world, breaking into our reality. And so I hope that as you listen to it, it can inspire you and encourage you, and it's hopefully something that will begin to help you shift your focus as well. Good morning. Uh, thanks for being here because it would be embarrassing if you weren't. And um, I'm Timmy Riggs. I'm one of your pastors. And I'm always so excited when Pastor Rick uh, lets me get up here and kind of take his place for him. And so I love him and I'm thankful for him. And uh, I'm thankful to be able to preach today. We're going to continue with the Soul Shift series. And so today I'm going to do my best to help us shift our soul in a type of way where we go from seeing what's right in front of us to being able to see the unseen. And we're going to talk about kind of what Paul is writing to the Corinthians and how when we shift our focus, when we shift the way that we see life, we stand out. We can become an indicator and a beacon to those around us, to this reality that God is breaking into ours. So that's what we're going to be talking about. So if you want to flip in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 4, we'll be in 2 Corinthians 4. And it'll be verses 16 through 18. That's the very end of that chapter. And Paul is writing, I'll I'll talk briefly right now about it, but Paul's writing to a young church that he helped start. He actually spent 18 months with this church, and then he left them, and he said, hey, I love you guys. I'm kind of your spiritual father. I'm, I'm your pastor. And so he continues to communicate with them through letters. And of course, this is one of his big ones, and it's the second one that we have documented in scripture. So when you're there, um, I guess I'll just guess that you're there. That's what we'll do. Uh, and it'll be on the screen too if you don't have your Bibles, okay? 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. Paul has, has been talking about suffering and, and what that looks like and why. And then he says this. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen, well, it's temporary. But what is unseen is eternal. I love how Eugene Peterson puts it in the message. I just have a couple lines I want to read. He says, hey, we're not giving up. How could we? You know, these hard times, well, they're just small potatoes compared to the coming good times, the lavish celebration prepared for us. There's far more here than meets the eye. Will you pray with me quick? God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this opportunity. I ask that you use a little bit of words and just a little bit of knowledge that I have that's it's insufficient, but with you and your spirit, I believe that in one way or another, you're going to reveal yourself to somebody in this room, hopefully everybody, and we're going to encounter Jesus in a real way. We thank you for your love and your grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I had an amazing childhood. I really did. I feel like I had the best growing up that a kid can have. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but I'm an Enneagram 7. That's a personality type. And so basically that just means I could have eaten dirt every day and I'd still tell you I had a great childhood. Like I'm able to twist it, right? I can work things into a positive way. 
But one of the cool things that I can't deny truly that you're going to be like, no, that is cool and that's a, an exciting experience, is that there was a family I was extremely close with growing up. And, and they had a pretty nice sized boat and every uh, summer we'd spend a few weeks on the boat. And we'd, we'd go down in the Florida Keys because that's where I grew up in Florida. And we'd be in the Keys and we would deep sea fish every day. Now, I don't, I don't want to be rude, but it's a little bit different than, than fishing in the creek behind your house, okay? It's, we got, we got big reels. They're this big. You got to get strapped into the chair so the fish doesn't pull you in because it weighs more than you, right? Like there is a lot going on in this type of fishing. And, and honestly, I thought it was the only type of fishing till I moved here. But one of my favorite parts about fishing was we would do uh, night fish. We would go night fishing. And that means, you know, we get, the, we get everything ready. We get all the rigs ready, and we get in the boat, and we leave the harbor at 10 p.m. And we go out there, and we'd be about 30 miles offshore, and you'd go out, and, and you'd turn off the lights on the boat, so all you had were the stars and the moon and nothing. Right? It was beautiful. But, you know, as you look out, and I'm sure you're familiar, if, whether you've seen pictures of it or you've gone on a cruise or whatever, you've seen kind of like when you look out on the water, it really is. There's nothing but maybe just like a wet desert. It's just kind of like, man, there's, there's really nothing, there's not much out there. But the reason we're out there is because we're believing that even though it looks kind of plain and simple, that underneath there's a whole nother world. There's a whole nother reality that's actually connected to ours. And under there, you got sharks, you got whales, you got thousands, if not millions of species of fish. I don't know, but there's a lot. There, there's coral reef. There's beautiful things down there. We're there that night for one specific thing, a swordfish. And this thing, it's got a two to three foot sword on the end of its face. It's insane. You know, if, if it didn't exist, you wouldn't think it would, right? And it weighs 160 pounds to 300 pounds. And so that's the thing we're out for. And though there's nothing when we look out, we're believing that it's under the surface, that there's a whole nother world out there. And so what you do is we let our line out 100 yards and you'd have a huge hook, real big. And you'd let your line out, and after 100 yards, you would attach a buoy about the size of a cantaloupe. And at the top of the cantaloupe would be a stick that goes about two feet, and that's out of the water. And on top of that stick, you would attach a glow stick. And then you let the line out another 100 yards. And the reason you do that is because in the pitch black, in the darkness, and what seems to be nothing, you have all the lights off, you sit there, and you just watch it for hours, okay? And you just, and you wait, and that's your indicator. Because as soon as the glow stick gets sucked underwater, you know that everything you've been hoping for and you've been believing about there being another world has come true. Something's got your bait, something's down there, and it's go time. And so one night, we didn't have rules. Like, it wasn't like you get to be the one that reels it in this time. It was just if you could endure staying up all night. And so this night, I was like, it's me. I'm going to get it. And so sure enough, it's 3 a.m. Everybody's falling asleep, but I've been watching that glow stick and it hasn't moved at all. And all of a sudden, boom, it goes down. I jump on the reel. I scream fish is on. Everybody wakes up. We turn the music on, turn the lights on. And an hour and a half later, I got this beast of a fish, right? And we, and we go into the harbor as the sun's coming up and everyone's cheering for us. Maybe, I don't know. I get to make things up, you know? Uh, <laughs> And so they're excited, 
and we come in and now they're encouraged and they're like, hey, we're excited for our day of fishing. You guys got one, now it's our turn, we're going to go out. Now if you're a fisherman specifically, that story's not quite as relatable because there were a lot of times where we would go out in the middle of the night, we'd set all the rigs and we'd sit there and we'd watch the glow stick and one hour goes by, two, three, four, five, six and seven, sun's coming up, nothing's happened. And you start thinking, well maybe we're in the wrong spot. Maybe there isn't any life under the surface. Maybe there isn't more than meets the eye. I think that not only as a fisherman, but as a human being, and especially as a Christian, um, we can kind of get to that part of our life. We, we say, hey, we want to follow Jesus. Jesus showed up and he said, hey, I'm breaking in a new type of kingdom. Everything is going to look different. Where there's hate, there's going to be love now. Where there's violence, there's going to be peace. It's, it's a new type of deal. Where there's, he, where there's sickness, there's going to be healing. And so we're like, okay, yeah, sign me up for that. That's exciting. But then, you know, 2020, we turn on the news and there's 36 hours a day of nothing. But hey, uh, there's more famine. There's more shootings. There's more starvation. There's more poverty. There's, there's more terrible things happening. I've never one time turned on the news and they've gone, hey, guess what? It was amazing. Oklahoma City today, everyone drove to work, not a single accident. While they were there, they had great attitudes. They did their work like they were supposed to. They worked together with one another. Then they went home, no accidents, loved their spouse, loved their kids, helped cook, put the laundry away, washed clothes, went outside, did some yard work with the last little bit of sun, came inside, read, prepared for their vacation for the next three years. It was amazing. No, it's, if it bleeds, it leads. If it's, if it's bad, it's getting on the news. And so we're sitting there, we're like, oh, I thought we were supposed to live in a different type of reality. I, Jesus, you came saying it, it was going to be different. And so maybe there we even begin to hunker down where it's like, well, I'll just, you know, I'll just figure it out myself and maybe I'll look forward to heaven. But right now, man, I guess we'll just endure it. And maybe in 2019, it might have been the year where you were like, I'm going to get my finances in order. I'm going to make sure I'm giving faithfully. And then all of a sudden, something happened, a huge medical expense that you weren't expecting. And then you were like, oh, and, and then I had to go see my mom because, you know, any, any time I get to spend with her now is precious. And so by the end of 2019, the year that you were supposed to get everything in order, things look worse. And we're like, God, I, I just thought it was going to be a little bit different. And so we have a moment. We have moments and maybe even seasons where maybe we're still coming to church, we're still part of our small group, but we're thinking, is there anything underneath the surface? Doesn't quite look like it. This was happening in this early church in Corinth. Corinth rather. Paul is writing to them because they've had some people in their midst who have begun to think, you know, Paul, your life doesn't look too great, buddy. Um, and not to mention, you know, our life is kind of actually getting a little bit harder. We, we thought that this following Jesus thing was going to mean that everything was better. But in fact, now, like, even just little things like holding my tongue is tough, you know. I, I want to lash back, but you're kind of telling me I'm supposed to speak in a different type of way. Now you're telling me i got to be in charge of my sexual urges. That wasn't something I had to do before. And, 
that's, that's difficult. And so they're beginning to maybe think, you know, Paul, we weren't living with this type of suffering before. Are you sure this is right? And so even on top of that, there's some people in the midst that, that are kind of opposing Paul. And they're trying to say, yeah, look, at this. this guy's a joke. He doesn't have any credentials. What authority does he have? How do we know we can trust his views of God, especially about Jesus? I don't know. And so that's starting to spread throughout the community. And so Paul wants to let them know, and he wants to affirm his ministry. So he starts out, and we get to chapter 4, where he's saying, hey guys, I just want to let you know, I know, it looks like I'm suffering, it looks like I'm weak, uh, some stuff's happened, but I want to let you know that, that we follow Jesus, and Jesus showed up preaching, teaching, living out this new kingdom. Well, and it led to death because he had to face death to actually be able to come up the other side alive in his resurrection, and we get to share in his resurrection, but but people of Corinth, if we're going to share in his resurrection, we shouldn't be afraid of also sharing in his sufferings. Let's, let's give that some room and space in our life too. And so he says, it's not something that we have to run away from or, or think that it uh, delegitimatizes the gospel. In fact, on the other hand, my suffering is showing that I'm maybe more in line than I ever was. Hey, he says, look, I know, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to belittle what you're going through. I think that's the worst thing that we can do, you know? And so he goes, I'm not going to belittle. We, we're hard-pressed. We really are. I'll give you that. We're like a grape being squeezed. But we're not crushed. So we can have some, some energy there. We're perplexed. Yeah, guys, sometimes I'm confused too. But we're not in despair. We're not giving up. And we are persecuted. But you know what's amazing? So was Jesus. And so we get to hold on to the fact, three days later, Jesus resurrected. God did not abandon him, abandon him. And if he didn't abandon Jesus, Jesus tells us that, hey, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So if he didn't abandon Jesus, he's not going to abandon us. So we might be persecuted, but let's press on. And so then he gets to the verse and the passage that we read today where he says, so with all that, don't lose heart, strengthen up. We can be excited. We can step out the door with our shoulders back and move forward. And he goes, oh, outwardly we're wasting away. Inwardly we're being renewed. This made me think about when we first got married, Em and I. We've been married four and a half years, so I know everything. And when we first got married, we had a lot more heated conversations than I expected, right? And I remember I, I was talking to somebody, uh, Misty Jaggers, I don't know if she's in here, but she said, hey, just don't stop talking. Just keep talking it out. And so in the moment of one of our heated conversations, if somebody was watching, they would probably be like, guys, get to the church. We need to get the oil out. We need to start praying for the rigs. We don't know. But because we didn't stop talking, because we made a decision that we were going to love each other and care for each other, that next conversation we actually found was a little bit easier. Because why? We, we, we saw that though outwardly maybe it looked like we were, you know, really boxing it out, inwardly it was making us better at communicating, it was making us better at listening, it was making us more aware of maybe even what the other person got frustrated with. And so Paul's saying, though outwardly it can look tough, 
inwardly something's happening inside. God's going to use it, and his spirit's going to begin to develop you. He goes on and he says, our light momentary troubles, which is hilarious because Paul has been beat up, he's been whipped, shipwrecked, snake bitten, and he goes, our light momentary troubles, right? Like if I got like if you're telling me what you're going through and I'm like, that's light and momentary, like you're going to slap me in the face, right? But Paul is just like, no, guys, we need to begin to shift our focus. One of the ways that we shift our soul into seeing things differently than the rest of the world is that whenever something comes up, a circumstance, a frustration, something we didn't expect. Let's just, let's not give it all of our attention. Let's not act like it's the end of the world. Let's kind of see it for what it is. Hey, it's light. It's momentary. This pain will, will go away. I remember I got stung by a stingray and Kate Myers was there and she was like, just remember pain is temporary. And I was like, it's very real right now, right? Uh, but Paul is saying light momentary troubles. I want you to shift your focus because usually we just think, well, just endure it. Just go through it. Just get on to the other side, you know? I don't know what to tell you. And Paul's like, no, no, it's way bigger than that. When we're a Jesus follower and our soul is different, that means when we have light momentary troubles, insert literally whatever, it's not just something we endure. It's something that is achieving for us something so much bigger. An eternal weight of glory. It's that one day when we spend forever with God. But I want to let you know that in the meantime, God is going to use it, and it's going to achieve some other things. It reminds me of the last 120-some years. I don't know. We have done a really good job at trying to prevent forest fires. Smokey the Bear has led us on that charge so well. But now we're finding that actually maybe we shouldn't have tried so hard to prevent them. Because when we try to prevent them, you know, over decades, then more and more dead leaves, dead pine needles, dead foliage begins to collect and it gets dry. And so when there is that chance and that lightning strike happens or someone's cooking out and a coal gets onto it or whatever and a fire begins, it spreads so much faster than it would if we allowed nature to kind of run its course. And so we can't then contain it. And so the fire gets so big that it's out of control. But we've been trying to protect ourselves from it, and it actually makes it worse. Also, there's a certain kind of tree. It's called the sequoia tree. It's, you know, 300 feet, massive, amazing trees. They, again, if they weren't real, you wouldn't think they would be, right? They have a seed that when they drop their seed, you know, hundreds, thousands, it's in a shell, a protective shell. The only thing, the only thing that releases that seed out of its shell is a fire. How crazy is that? These trees live for thousands of years, but the only thing that's ever going to allow their seed to come out of the shell is a fire. And so when we look at fire, we see, oh, that's death, that's trouble, we need to stay away from that. But for the life of a sequoia tree, it's the very thing that continues its legacy. It's the very thing that gives life to what's next. And so the trouble that it goes through truly achieves for it a greater glory. I have a friend. Lance Lang, he's the founder of Hope is Alive and a drug addict for many, many years. Uh, he got to the point where he, he it would just take 30, 40, 50 prescription pills a day for him to just function in life. 
And so he gets to this point where the loved one's around him and God begins to move and he goes to rehab. And when he comes out, he thinks to himself, hey, I need to make sure I set up a system because this last like six months has been wild and crazy and really, really tough. So I want to create something that allows my recovery to keep moving forward. And so we got a handful of guys uh, to move into a house with them. And what started in this one house began to expand, and, and before long, Lance had two, three, four, five houses with recovering addicts in it, and they were just kind of keeping each other accountable. And that was six years ago. Today, because of Lance's ability to say, hey, I'm going to shift my focus, all this stuff that happened to me, I'm going to allow it to be uh, achieving something and working towards a better good. So today, Hope is Alive has 18 houses, 165 recovering addicts in those houses today, and 72 graduates from their two-year program. For Lance, it was, I'm not going to, you know, dust it under the rug. I'm not going to just try and endure it. I'm going to use it. I'm going to give it to God. And out of that, something so much better than I could have imagined is going to come through it. So our troubles, what we're going through, we're going to see them. We're going to flip our focus. We're going to shift our soul in a way that says, hey, I can use it to achieve something greater. And so Paul is saying, guys, I just want you to begin to see that way. And so then he says, how do we do it? How do we begin to live that life? How, how do you look at me and say, man, you're going through all that. How are you so hopeful, Paul? He says, oh, here, here's the secret. Here, here's how you do it. We are going to be people that fix our eyes, not on what is seen. What is seen is temporary. Elections come and go. Debates come and go. Be informed, sure, but guys, it's, it's temporary. But, what we're going to fix our eyes on, that is what we're going to securely fasten our gaze to, is the things that you can't automatically see. It's the unseen. That's what we're going to look for. That's exactly what Jesus came preaching. He said, hey, guys, we're going to be the type of people that we're going to look for those that are on the outside. We're going to look for the hurting. That was something that before Jesus, before Christianity, would have been pretty unheard of to even have a compassionate heart. Before it was, hey, I got to get mine. I got to survive. I got to make sure my family doesn't die by either a wild animal or the Romans. And Jesus comes, he says, okay, do that. But also let's look for everyone else that they can't do it themselves. So what's it really look like? How do we begin to fix our eyes? There was a young pastor, a uh, local church pastor in early 1950s, who began to, to study this Jesus and say, hey, every time that Jesus came up with violence, he said, we're going to respond with peace. Every time Jesus faced hate, he said, we're going to respond with love. And so this pastor's reading that, studying that, and then he begins to look out in his community and notice, hmm, I'm not seeing a lot of indicators that that's breaking in. So what I'm going to do is day by day, I'm going to choose to be like Jesus. And before long, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. is going across the country helping other people see that there is a whole nother reality, a whole nother world, and a whole nother life that's breaking into ours. And the people around him beginning to see, oh, maybe there is more to life than what I see. Martin, is that you? Can we be a part of this? Can we walk with you? And he goes, hey, yeah, but let me tell you something. We're going to be hard pressed. We are going to be persecuted and we're going to be struck down. 
So get ready for that. But if you believe me and you trust me, just like I'm trusting Jesus, just like Paul says, hey, follow me while I follow Jesus, he says, we're going to achieve something so much greater. So this week, as we celebrated Dr. Martin Luther King Day, I began to think, what if I just had a minute? You know, what if God graced me with, whether it's a phone call or sitting across from him or whatever, what, what would I want to ask? And it's an obvious question, but you just begin to think, hey, would you do it again? Was it worth it? And I think he would look at me and he'd say, if you could see what I now see, on this side of eternity, would I do it again? I was shot and killed at 39 years old. I left my babies. I left my wife. I left the organization and the ministry that I was leading. Would I do it again? Without a doubt. Because what I was doing, Tim, what I was doing far outweighed all the troubles that I was going into. The way that God was breaking in was changing hearts, changing minds. We went through a lot. We were persecuted. I died for it. Would I do it again? I would double down. I would get a rested even more. I would speak more. I would love harder. I would do it again without even blinking because on this side of eternity, I can promise you there is something under the surface. It is a reality that is breaking in, but we have to shift. We have to shift our soul to be the people that say, what I see, oh, there's more than meets the eye. And then we get to be encouraged. It's, what's it been, 60 years or so? And you get to see, hey, there, there's how it breaks in. There's an indicator that there is life. I want to also be that person. And maybe it's just something as simple as, you know, at the office, in my neighborhood, there's that one person that I can't stand. And maybe it's, well, maybe another way for me to fix my focus is that maybe there's even more to their life than meets the eye. So the next time I interact with them, I'm just going to remind myself there's more than meets the eye in both how I treat them and what's going on in their life. And before long, day after day, when we choose to say, hey, instead of frustration, I'm going to choose patience. Instead of anger, I'm going to choose gentleness. Day after day, I believe that eventually that person will say, hey, I had some things going on in my life and it kind of made me a little frustrated and, and most people avoid me. But why have you been asking me to go to breakfast? Why do you care? And it's just that moment where we say, hey, they, they're seeing something, it's an indicator, and it's an open door for us to say, hey, here's why. Jesus showed up some 2,000 years ago, and a kingdom and a whole other world started breaking into ours. And I can't help but want to do everything I can to live in to that reality. When each one of us individually begins to live that type of life, what's happening today is what we begin to see happen almost every day, where we see, hey, we have an opportunity to partner with an organization that says, we, we care about starving children, and we need about six, 700 volunteers. And we say that within a couple days. All of you as individuals say, yeah. I'll sign up for that. And then boom, we have our volunteers. And so now what one person uh, by themselves couldn't do, 600 can do together in just hours. In hours, we're going to pack hundreds, I think, a little over 100,000 meals. And it's that type of thing that when other people begin to hear about it, they're, Bethany First Church? It, 
They're packing meals for kids that maybe they won't ever meet? Hmm, there might be more to them than I thought. Let's go check it out. It's not always that easy, but maybe we can begin to think that way. We think, hey, if we just do this, if we lean in, and again, this is, I don't want to get overly dramatic, but we know that throughout this year, we're going to go into a, a pretty, you know, complex renovation. And so there's going to be all types of moving around and we're going to be in different spaces. And maybe we just say, you know what, before we even get into it, we're going to change the way we see this. We're going to be flexible. We're going to choose that there are opportunities for us to just live with open arms during this renovation. And people will come and they'll be like, wait a second, you guys got put out of your regular sanctuary and now you're having to maneuver and everybody has a great attitude about it? How do you, how do you do it? It's God. <laughs> we choose to believe that what you see isn't it, that there's more under the surface. That's who we are as a church. That's who we are when we look at people, when we look at our circumstances and our situations. All of them. We just choose to believe that God wants to be a part of it a little bit more, that his kingdom is breaking in. Harlan, we can go ahead and move in to a little bit more time of prayer and worship. And this happens, and this works for all areas of our life. If it's a sickness, if it's a job loss, if it's a relationship, there is more to it than what we see. So right now, I just, as we go into worship, I want to open up the altars like Pastor Rick does, and we'll just go into a time of prayer and come with your friends, come with your family. Come by yourself, whatever it is, and just say, hey, God, there's more to this than what meets the eye. Far more. And so these light momentary troubles, I'm going to flip my focus and believe that they're achieving something that far outweighs all of them.